They're like, no, we're waiting to see if you really got a sermon ready. <laughs> I did, and it's an hour and a half long. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm, don't do that. No. There are wonderful, there are one, you all understand, I get this every once in a while. Now, I'm sure there's some people like, does he ever shut up? But there's others who say, oh, please don't stop. We were really with you in that. But the problem is, there are wonderful people serving our children downstairs. And you may note it, that's right, they are awesome, and you ought to thank them. And uh, thank them when you see them. They can't hear that. Um, but, yes, and... Uh, and they, what, what, Cheryl, what are you thinking? Oh, no, okay. I'm t- no, I didn't do anything. No, she can get away with it. She can straighten me out. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, but the point is they're serving, and you may notice that little kids don't have the same attention span that you do. Or they have a bigger attention span, whatever. Okay, so let me mention a couple of things that I didn't get to say earlier. Um, If you're visiting, there's a little card you can fill out, or just make sure that we know that you are here. We'd love to talk with you, answer spiritual questions. Um, I I love interacting with people, and some who are coming in from outside who, we, we, we have people who have come to faith with very little or no church background at all. So sometimes we have to find common ground, make sure we're talking the same language, you know what I mean? It's kind of fun. So if I can help you in that in any way, let, let us know. But if you're a guest, we'd love to know that you are with us. If you are in the process, you have followed Jesus somewhere along the line, you became a Christian, you haven't been baptized yet, we're trying to set up another baptism this summer, okay? And we got, oh, boy, I just saw somebody get volunteered against their will. But anyway, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And uh, I do know of two or three now that um, need to follow through in the Lord's commandment to baptism. Or if you're interested in joining the church, you can do that. They don't go together per se. They do, but they don't. Let me explain what I mean. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should get baptized whether you join Harmony Baptist Church or not. That's in the Bible. Okay, it's in the Bible. So it's very important if it's in the Bible. So you should do that. But if you want to put your hand to the plow here and be part of uh, this work that we want to build up for God's sake and for his name's sake, then uh, feel free to take the next step. Take our, we do a little class explaining what it means to be a member of a local church and uh, participate, okay? And we'd love to have you on the list. One last thing. I know we're behind. I haven't caught up lately on where you're at in the Daily Bible, and we've been having some great questions about all these wars and stuff. Some of it's tough, right? It's tough stuff. So I will be catching up on that, but not today. All right, so that's what's coming. All right, today's message, I thought it was appropriate for Brother Derek without our collab. Well, maybe there was a little collaboration. You knew what I was going to preach on. Yes, he knew what I was going to preach on. You know, you want to serve the other gods or do you want to serve the Lord? Make up your mind what you want to do, right? So our sermon today is called Shiny Objects. This is not working. This shiny object isn't working. There it is. And the text is in Exodus, and we'll be looking at that in a minute. Actually, wait a minute. Yeah, I forgot to change that. It's supposed to be 1 John. Same thing, whatever. It's all part of the passage. 
1 John chapter 5, verse 21, we'll be looking at in a few minutes. This is a short primer, shiny objects, a short primer on idolatry. And Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments are, and st- starting in the second verse is where uh, the command about idolatry begins. We're in the series on the Ten Commandments, if you're, if you're visiting, but you'll notice a little asterisk. Anytime I put an asterisk, what does that mean? It means I stole it. I stole the title from a book called Shiny Objects by James A. Roberts, and I'll bring that back around a little bit later. It's kind of a, a subject that, you know, every, every Sunday I will say something like, I'm really nervous about this, or I'm really dreading this, or I'm not saying that today. I'm really um, conflicted about this today. <laughs> And here's why. Because it's the kind of subject that we think, well, you know, idols, uh, those days are gone. Or here's what the typical Christian does. I got this. I understand. I understand. Yeah, you know, I know Jesus is first, and that's the end of the discussion. So we kind of check out, right? We kind of check out. So maybe I can help us a little bit with this as we work our way through. Some of you remember some classic idols. If you're good moviegoers, if, you know, you, you watch the right movies. There's a very spiritual movie called uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. This is one of the idols in that. It's spiritual, right? It's about the Temple of Doom. It's got to be spiritual. didn't say what kind of spiritual. And that's Kali, you know, this death-dealing false god. Everybody thinks in terms of idolatry like that, which isn't, too bad a picture of what some of the Hebrews would have seen around them. If you were a Jew back then, you would have encountered this false god. Anybody know who that is? It's a Phoenician version of one that you hear about all the time. That's him, Baal, right? The thunder god or the storm god, which rain is important to fertility. So Baal and Ashtoreth, Asherah, written different ways, but those two go together, the male and female versions, if you will, of fertility cults. This is what the Hebrews would have seen around in their neighborhoods, along with other gods like Moloch, who was more like the first one, fire, where people would actually, literally, sacrifice their children in an oven. Well, we're too sophisticated for that. Maybe. So this was Baal. And we think, well, we don't have a lot of this kind of stuff around anymore. And yet, today, there is a resurgence among idolatries. Uh, This is Hotai, the happy Buddha. He wasn't originally thought to be a god at all, but eventually he morphed into one. And uh, I was actually looking online, which is not the greatest place to do research, can I just add. But there's a connection between this happy, lucky Hotai Buddha and feng shui and making all your energy work in the right way. And so people are moving back into some of that stuff. If we don't have a biblical worldview and a biblical foundation, as one of the early Christian writers used to say, the problem is not that we won't believe anything, it's that we'll believe everything or anything at all. That's what happens sometimes. But let's bring it a little bit closer to home. I mean, that would be uh, something we would, as believers, say we know the Bible tells us to avoid that kind of thing. But, you know, the children of Israel, they worshipped a bull or a calf after the, uh, Moses didn't come down from the mountain. I wonder if it looked like that. 
or what that represents. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, it's the bull of Wall Street. You know, now they got some girl looking at him like this, but I haven't seen her yet. But that's the bull of Wall Street. Uh, I would say that represents a certain amount of idolatry, wouldn't you? Or maybe you like a shinier object than that. Maybe something like this, right? Well, that's a nice one, isn't it? Stop drooling, you all. I hope I didn't rain on anybody's parade. You were going to get that for your birthday, and I just ruined it, right? Sorry. What was that? It's a lot. Oh, boy. I'm not even going to respond to that one. Okay. Let's look at what the text says. Here's what it says in, in uh, the book of Exodus. Same parallel. In fact, this is one of the commands that's almost exactly the same language all the way through as in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. I want to leave that up for just a minute, uh, kind of unpack it. Uh, Martin Luther put these commands as one. Did you notice that the first one is the first command? which I was saving for Father's Day. It's appropriate. Our Heavenly Father should be the only God in our life. And uh, that's the first command. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. Luther put these two together. And they do go together, don't they? Have no other gods before me, which would imply you shall have no other gods. Don't make for yourself an idol. But there is a second step involved, and that is where we can, in fact, get in trouble. If you're a note keeper, um, shiny objects on your bulletin has a place to write some things in, and this is like a duh statement, the problem with idolatry. Gee, is there a problem with idolatry? (laughs) But what is the problem with idolatry? Here's the problem with idolatry. Traditional idolatry, if you will, where you, you make something to help you worship a God, God, even the God. The children of Israel were trying to help God out, you know. Moses didn't come down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. It's the, how long was he up there? Anybody remember? Forty days, yeah, and they're saying, hey, this guy Moses, we don't know what happened. What happened? We, we better do something because we're feeling some religious itching. And, we, and we, need to, we need to have a worship service. So what do they do? They make a God. And what do they say? These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the house of bondage. No, they are not. Now, we have to not think that all of those primitive people were so ignorant that they really thought that that statue was the God. They understood that there's a power that that represents, okay? They were enlightened enough to understand that. The problem, though, is as soon as you start making an image, you're going to get it wrong. That's your first problem with idolatry. You're going to get it wrong. Even if you're trying to use this to help you worship the true God, you're going to get it wrong. That's why this command says, I am the Lord your God, Yahweh, the ever-living one, no limitations, spiritual being, the invisible God. He's not visible. You can't make a representation that's going to indicate the God of heaven. You can't do it. No man has seen God at any time. You want to hold it? You were just talking about as soon as you make an image. I mean, there's a lot of that in the 
Yes? Hold that question. I got a quick Q&A. Thank you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You should have no other gods before me. In other words, I'm the God that redeems. I'm the God who rescues people out of their bondage. That's who I am. I'm the covenant-keeping God. Any other picture, you're probably going to get it wrong. You're going to twist the theology. Any likeness is going to be misguided. The Old Testament word for idols many times was used was wind or falsehood or emptiness. And that's what it is. It's emptiness. When I'm looking at a false god or something that I hope has power that's going to help me, I'm praying to something, even a saint that, that might answer some of your question, that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that God is the one that we interact with through his son Jesus, the only intercessor that there is. He's the way. So the problem with traditional idolatry is very simple. We get it wrong. It presents an emptiness, a vanity, wind. It will get us derailed. We'll have a wrong view of God. But there's something else wrong with it. The second thing is, first thing is we'll get it wrong. The second thing is that we will get enslaved. If I'm going after some other form or some other God, I can end up enslaved. In the Old Testament, God rebukes the peoples around who are worshiping idols as worshiping, actually, without their knowledge or awareness, the enemies of God. Do you know why the occult is something that God has such a strong abhorrence to? Because, see, we have a God who hears us. He's the living God. We can connect with him through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He will hear our prayers. And if I'm not looking to him, I'm looking to some other source for an answer to my prayers, for power, for knowledge. By the way, that's what occultism is. It's looking for knowledge or power or influence from an unseen source. God says, if you're not getting it from me, take three guesses where you're getting it from, if it works. Where are you getting it from? And by the way, the first two guesses don't count. Where? Yeah, you got it. And Paul reiterates this in the New Testament. Look at this language here. I'm going to show you some. Oh, by the way, I jumped ahead. This is the commandment, and here's the reason. Ready for this? He gives a reason. It's one of those commands with a reason. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's one of the verses you'd rather not put up. How do you explain that? What does that mean? What is that? Well, first of all, jealous. Is God, is God like, you know, petulant human beings? Oh, he was talking to her and not me. I'm so mad. Is that God? You know, it's not that kind of jealous. In fact, the word jealous can be translated zealous. I'm a zealous God. Jesus said, zeal for thine house has eaten me up. Jesus took offense at the misuse of the purposes of God, the misuse of the temple, the misuse of worship. Jesus was angry about it. And that's what God's speaking about. He is zealous for his name and the truth about him to be protected. Why? Because it's the ultimate good you need. 
The ultimate good you and I need is the right and true God, not some made-up version. That's what I need. So that's why he's zealous, and that's why it says people who turn their back on him, what is he describing here? It makes sense on numerous levels. But if I'm raising a family and I say God is nonsense or this is what God is, guess who's going to follow suit? In several ways. One, they're going to follow my modeling. But number two, I actually pass on wrong thinking, wrong spiritual dynamic to my family so that they go astray. And just like the laws of thermodynamics, things go from repair to less repair, less repair. It gets worse and worse the further away from God I get. But the promise side is, because I'm a covenant-keeping God and I love you, if you'll come my way, I will bless you up to thousands extended. It's kind of encouraging. So you have this instruction. Even in the script, uh, even in uh, Kylan Delich, one of the most famous Old Testament commentators, the human race is a living organism in which not only sin and wickedness are transmitted, but evil as the curse of sin and the punishment of the wickedness. Children receive their nature from their parents. Have you noticed that? Parents? Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and it's a blessing, really. What? what? Why? When? Yes, it's a blessing. They receive the good stuff as well as some of the not-so-good stuff. So you train them away from the bad stuff because who should know it better than you? And encourage the good stuff. All right. Anyway, so enough of that. You get the idea. And the point is, when we deal with, um, for example, spiritual bondage, we find that there are things that are passed on down through family lines that you have to take authority and use the power of the Lord Jesus which is available to you to break the stronghold that has been passed down from generation to generation it actually works so the problem with traditional idolatry is you're going to get it wrong any representation of God is going to twist it in some way and get it wrong and secondly uh, it leads us to enslavement like this is talking about the Apostle Paul references the Old Testament concept and he says to his new believers, he says, I want you to be careful. You're hanging out in a town that's full of idolatry. Make sure you don't get confounded. Make sure you don't get it wrong hanging out with those idolater friends of yours that you're trying to bring to faith. Actually, that's what they were doing. They were trying to bring it to faith, bring them to faith. And consider, these are people who have already pledged their allegiance to Jesus Christ in a world full of idols. And Paul says this, do I, what do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. Let's start with that. Idols are emptiness, vanity. They're not true. They're not really gods. So, first of all, the idol is nothing. He makes it clear. But number two, I'm saying the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to what? And not to God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. In other words, sometimes there is a real power behind it. False God has a real power behind it. How do you explain some of the things we see in the world today? I mean, I consider cults where something is absolutely nonsensical, but people are absolutely committed to it as absolute truth. Where is that coming from? Where do you, where do you get this lie that... God just wants everybody blown up. 
on a, on a theological basis, that this is serving God. Where does that... Do you think that there could be a demonic power behind that? It's not if. It just is. <clears throat> I hope they're not listening to my podcast. Anyway, so... So the first problem with idolatry is you're going to get it wrong, and it can lead to enslavement. But here's the bigger picture for us as believers. There's a deeper inclination relating to idolatry. And here's where I get nervous that we'll say, well, I I got this, I got this, because probably we don't totally. Probably we don't. This is where John says to these disciples who have chosen to follow Jesus, they've turned away from the gods of Rome and the gods of Greece and all of that nonsense, and they're following Jesus. And yet he says, little children... Guard yourselves from idols. Well, this is where my title comes in, shiny objects, right? Because things can become idols, right? In fact, Martin Luther in his catechism says it can be people, it can be things, or it can be ourselves that we make into idols. So I want to kind of probe around in that for just a couple of minutes. After 9-11, Mr. Uh, Roberts in his book, Shiny Objects, whose thesis is we are driven to collect all these things that we think we need and that it isn't working for us. That's his point. It isn't working for us. The problem of, as uh, he quoted a man named Stephen Malanga, the descent into lethal materialism. Isn't that a great phrase? Lethal materialism made a distinction between our parents, for example, who got a new sofa and absolutely loved that new sofa and enjoyed it. Maybe they even put plastic. Any of you have family members who used to put plastic over this? Uh, most uncomfortable thing in the universe. Why bother? But anyway, but for them, this was a big kill. You know what I mean? They won this thing. They earned it. They saved their money. They took green stamps home, whatever they had to do. They got this sofa and this was... And then their thing is... Not to bow down and worship it, to enjoy it as long as they can. You want another sofa? No, I just worked my tail off to get this one. You sure you don't want it? No, it's enough. You have the thing to enjoy it. As opposed to what has happened in our culture, which is you have to have it all. Lots of it. The descent into lethal materialism. The more I have, the happier I should be. That's what the logic is. In fact, after 9-11, he pointed this out. It was very fascinating to me. Mr. Roberts, shiny objects, if you want to read something. Kind of interesting. After 9-11, it was considered patriotic to go shopping. It's patriotic. You're being a patriot by going out and spending money. Or it's therapy. Some of us are going, yeah, it is. (laughs) I just need to go out and buy something. Right? I know the feeling. I know that feeling. I get it. I'm I'm just feeling like, ooh, this is a good day to go out and do I need it? And here's what his thesis is, and he's got data up, piled up to prove it. Our materialistic acquisitions have gone off the charts, and our happiness factor has flatlined completely flatline. That ought to tell us something. You see, idols will help you get it wrong. 
and they will enslave you. Right? The deeper inclination is uh, that I will be captivated by this or enslaved by it. So John says to his disciples, little children, guard yourselves from idols. In fact, one other thing I'll come back to in a few minutes was that um, possessions actually become an extension of who we are. That, that, that becomes not just something I want to have to enjoy and I take great satisfaction in it, but I need this thing because that makes a statement about who I am. Well, you're right, it really does. But it's not the statement you think you're making if you've fallen for that. One of my brothers here, uh, I remember actually going to, um, I believe it was a Willow Creek Leadership Summit. Bill Hybels was describing the draw that this has on us. And he said, when I was a kid, there was this particular bicycle. That was it. I had to get it. You know, it's like Ralphie in the BB gun movie, you know. I mean, BB gun mania knows no bounds. You know, I got to get it. And I'm putting ads in, you know, his mother's copy of Look and Subtle Hints. And, you know, Schwartz says he saw grizzly bears down at so-and-so's candy store. Whatever. You know, that kind of stuff. Whatever I have to do to get it. And then you move on to some other it. And anybody relate to this at all? When I was a kid, I did this, and into my adulthood, you know, so it's this, it's this house project, it's this new kitchen, it's this, it's that. That is it. I've got to have it. If I don't have it, I'm feeling short of breath. It. What is it? And that's the question. What is it? Tim Keller asked this. What is it that if you lost it, it could drain you? Emotion, just drain you, maybe even drain you from the will to live. Whatever it is, it's an idol. That's the problem. Our source of life and satisfaction and acceptance is who? That's not a trick question, class. It's found in God, in the person of Jesus. He has made us completely acceptable in the beloved. I don't have to have it to be accepted. I was listening to Tim because some character in my church sent me a catch, and I went from that to another one, Randy. I'm not pointing anybody out. But when I did, here was an interesting statement. i got to figure out how to experiment with this. Because one of the things churches are usually weak in is reaching out to lost people to bring them into the family of God, right? So Tim Keller was talking about evangelism explosion. I was trained in that. I've used it. I still do use some of it. And he said, you know, we talk about falling short of our relationship with God. But he said, I found in the city, because he planted a church in the city that's doing extremely well today, Redeemer. And he said, I found um, I didn't get a lot of traction with that discussion. But when I started tapping into the subject of idolatry, what are you Worshiping, What are you longing for, needing in your life? You've got to have it so that it helps you cope with life so you don't need God. What is it? He said, I started getting a lot of traction. A lot of traction. I thought, that's fascinating, isn't it? Like shiny objects. You know, Eve in the garden. That wasn't an apple, but that fruit. Shiny. Ooh. Looks good, desirable. Gotta have it. 
My precious. That's that's in my sermon later. It's right here on page of the Gollum. My precious. Just ruined my whole sermon. Isn't that a great illustration of idolatry, though, right? My precious. And, and his friend tries to take it from him. There you are. When you serve idols, that's what you're like. Don't touch my idol. Can I just give you a little hint? There's a lot of idolatry in this church. A lot of it. All you have to do is poke around on your idol, and boy, do you get huffy. Oh, let me give you the definition from Mr. Uh, Mr. Keller. They're the good things in life that replace God and squelch trusting in him. They're the good things in life that replace God and squelch your trust in him. What is it that if you lost it would drain, just sap your strength? Oh my gosh. It can be the world, a world system. It can be the money system. Money is a big one. There's no question. Everybody knows that. Money can be huge. It can be drugs. It can be music. It can be rock stars. It can be the five minutes of fame that you're willing to sell your soul for. And that's what we do today. Cell phones are our talismans today. They're our little magic talismans that we carry. See how important I am? I'm significant. No, 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 no questions now. What? What's that? Talisman is a lucky charm, a magical charm. People go to witch doctors to get talismans made to protect them from certain things. Sorry, good question. Thank you. So, yeah, lucky charm, little, little... religious charms we have around that it's going to protect me it's not going to I'm being deceived I'm getting it wrong let me show you a verse here since I'm, I'm on a roll I finally woke up and I'm going to stop I am going to stop honey I promise my wife's saying if you don't shut up soon anyway for this you know with certainty look at this no immoral impure person or covetous man who is a what the context is immoral, impure, and covetous. The context is, this, this relates to our sexually destroyed generation. Immoral, impure, covetous. Do you know in another place, the sexually immoral person is called greedy. Never has enough. Never has enough. Just uses people. It's greed. He calls them an idolater. Can sex be a god? Absolutely, and it is in our culture, most assuredly. Whether I use it to get the attention I need or whether I use it to conquer people because I've got this fat-headed ego or whatever it might happen to be, it's idolatry. No question about it. That has become God. It has a good thing that God gave us that I use to replace God in my life, squelch having to trust him, trust him for the right person, his sovereignty to bring that person into my life, I'm, a, I'm an idolater. Romans says that people in rebellion against God exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what? The creature. The creature. Animal, 
human, myself, rather than the true God. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What is it? Here's my question for you today. What is it that you're protecting, that you're worshiping, that has to come first? In our assembly, this church, this place right here could be an idol in your life. This is our church. Ooh. Please tell me if that's true, because I'm getting out. Because I thought God owned it, but maybe he doesn't. Possessions, school, your reputation, which you think is intact, but it isn't. You think it is. What is it? What is it? that you're not trusting God with because he wants all of our trust set on him, not on ourselves. Let's stand together as we close. Thank you for your kind attention. I'm going to send you down to relieve the workers in the children's wing so that they like you and me too. Just before we go, let's pray. I would love to say, God, that... um, We're all clean from this. I would love to say that I've always, oh, I'm sorry, been clean from this. I'm asking in Jesus' name that if we know we need to put Jesus back on the throne of our life, we would just get busy and do it starting today. I am distressed if your spirit doesn't have the liberty to own our lives and give us direction. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, would you help us as a congregation to put you back on the throne where you belong and worship you. And so, Father, we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to be enslaved. We don't want to be deceived to thinking we're okay if we're not. So help us, we pray. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. We'll be here if you want to pray with us. And otherwise, have a great day. And I stay, stay cool.